Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Hey, Dean. I hope all's well with you. What topic of interest are we going to be discussing today? Hi, Len. Nice to see you. As you know, uh, fair lending is a major hot topic, and we've discussed uh, uh, many issues over the last few years in regards to fair lending. Um, but one issue that keeps surfacing is uh, under fair lending is uh, appraisal bias, and we haven't touched on that yet. I think that's a great topic. I've been reading and hearing a lot about it, and I'm really interested myself to hear what you have to say. And I'm certain our audience is going to be all ears as well. So let's hear let's hear what you've got to say, Dean. Yeah, well, great. Yeah, so appraisal bias is is it it is uh, you know I, I always it seems like I'm constantly saying this. It's an emerging hot issue, but it is uh, a very hot yeah. issue, and it's under the microscope of the regulators. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, enforcement relative to appraisal bias recently, um, and I think that probably goes hand in hand with their redlining initiative as well. Um, but it's the practice you know, of an independent appraiser that placing a value on the property owned by, say, a minority person, for example, um, that is lower than the appraisal that would be placed uh, uh, if the property were owned by a non-minority. Um, I know the example uses race of the property owners as the protected basis, but it could be, you know, ethnicity of the owners, the racial ethnic makeup of the neighborhood, uh, so on and so forth. So the issue is that uh, the appraisal bias amounts to, under fair lending, illegal discrimination within the appraisal process. And this invokes the Equal Credit Opportunity Act and Fair Housing Act, which are known collectively under the heading of fair lending. And it also uh, even extends uh, 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 to uh, under UDAP, uh, and it's unfair to consumers. Wow, so I understand that appraisers are supposed to be independent of the process. Is that accurate? And if so, how can consumers influence an appraiser? Yeah, you are. You're, you're spot on. And, and of course, uh, appraisers have to be independent of the process. Um, the appraiser's role, quite frankly, is to provide an impartial, objective and independent opinion of the property's value. Um, after the financial debacle that we had in 2008, and God forbid, I hope we're not vis- revisiting it <laughs> now, but uh, appraisers were criticized for lacking in independence and, and appraising properties based on an outside influence, thus contributing uh, to the run-up of the property values. Um, obviously, appraisers will typically have contact with the borrowers, but we need to ensure this interaction is minimal and that we've established controls around our review process. I can back up, Len, actually, of almost uh, 30 plus years uh, on this particular issue. When I was uh, working in the uh, on the origination side, working for a small savings bank, and of course, uh, we'll stay on task here, but um, the big thing that I saw was the amount of influence that sometimes loan officers have uh, over the appraisers, not just the property owner themselves. So, uh, hopefully we don't revisit that, but the, you know there's some examples, some clear-cut examples of appraisal bias throughout uh, uh, fair lending and and throughout my career that I've seen. So, mm-hmm. well, I, I you know my memory is very sharp and clear of the 2008 debacle, 
you know, people were using their properties like they were ATM machines and just pulling cash out, uh, you know, as if it was the piggy bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly that's exactly what was happening is that people were constantly flipping or turning over properties, uh, taking the equity out of them. And um, and in and, and the way that they were doing that in some cases is influencing uh, the appraiser um, and and and. And, you know, the appraiser obviously has to have contact with the consumer. Um, and what's happening in a lot of those cases is the consumer influences the outcome because they tell them what it is that they need in order to get the cash out. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but we've seen, you know, we've seen many flaws in the process and, and many appraisers who will no longer provide services to financial institutions as a result of the lack of independence. Uh, appraisal bias is an important topic to consumers, especially those minority consumers. Um, because appraisal bias has a significant impact on generational wealth building. Um, obtaining a, appraisal uh, value is a key step in the purchase and financing of homes. And the result of that appraisal can cause uh, changes in the contract price. And this could have uh, significant impacts on, on the consumer. So, so, Dean, it's really not a new issue. Uh, so why do you think it keeps surfacing? Uh, it seems to be a pretty straightforward topic. Uh, how do you explain that? Yeah, well, no, it's a great question. I'm not sure I can exactly put my thumb on it, but uh, we, we first started hearing about the appraisal bias a few years ago, and the topic has ballooned in importance uh, uh, to, point where the inter, uh, to the point where they're actually the Interagency Fair Lending webinar hosted recently. And, uh, and when I, you hear me say recently, it, it's anything that happened in the last five years, but uh, the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. in December of 2022 um, it seemed to be dominated by the topic of appraisal bias and some of the enforcement that we've seen relative to that. So, yeah, it's certainly uh, certainly a big issue. So I'm certain we have a lot of bankers listening to this uh, uh, podcast today. How can bankers and banks, lenders protect themselves against appraisal bias and potential li liability under ECOA and uh, the FHA? Yeah, well, you're always prompting me with great questions. I certainly appreciate that for sure. And we have a couple of suggestions, I think, that uh, would certainly uh, behoove an institution to adopt and make sure that they have uh, strong controls around the process. But first, I would say, have a detailed and thorough vendor due diligence process for appraisers. Don't just just don't accept somebody that walks in the door because they've lived 10 miles from the branch uh, um, you know, and, and, you know, uh, 10 miles from the branch for the last 30 years, um, really dig into who those vendors are. Uh, what is, you know, what are their credentials? What's their history and so on and so forth. So do the due diligence, incorporate appraisal bias risks uh, and some mitigating controls into their fair lending risk assessment. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we'll go into institutions and look at their fair lending risk assessment. There's absolutely no mention whatsoever of the appraisal process, the bias, any controls they put in place for review, uh, so on and so forth. So um, the next one would be ensure your financial institutions review processes are designed to identify uh, any hint, any red flag of bias. Uh, this would include sample appraisal reports for language or phrases that could prove problematic. An example of that uh, uh, some of the words that we see in an appraisal, desirable neighborhood. Well, who the, you know, whose opinion is that? That the appraiser, or was that what the applicant told him? <laughs> Affordable neighborhood. Um, you know, is it a gated area? I mean, those, even though the, you know, those those statements in itself may not be appraisal bias, it certainly uh, prompts a uh, reviewer to go deeper into the appraisal process. Um, as it relates to any bias that may have occurred for some for, for those very words. So 
Um, review the comments regarding uh, the ethnicity of the neighborhood. I think that's important as well because um, appraisers do and it, they, they do write quite a narrative around the neighborhood and what it looks like and, and how that impacts property value overall. And not that that's a bad thing, um, but again, being cautious and cognizant of uh, appraisal biased in the type of terms or red flags that uh, could suggest that the appraiser is being less than uh, transparent or independent. Um, incorporate statistical sampling of your mortgage files. I mean, compare values to uh, contract amounts and, and use Humda data to identify uh, target groups versus your control groups, your purchases versus your refinances, et cetera. I mean, I think this is important. I mean, you and I have worked numerous times on all kinds of fair lending uh, data mm -hmm. analysis uh, to uncover, you know, not necessarily focused on appraisal bias, but again, that those statistical sampling of, uh, you know, looking at those values and uh, is imperative. It's a very important for, for that uh, control to be a part of their overall risk management program. Ensure anyone involved in lending or the appraisal process are trained on fair lending and specifically the appraisal bias red flags. Um, you know, while we put a lot of trust and we do vendor due diligence on our appraisers themselves, it's important for staff uh, uh, to also remain independent as to not influence an appraisal or the appraisal outcome. In a lot of cases, we have now automated services. So compare, you know, use your automation which is an evaluation service um, and and uh, to human perform valuations and do some sort of a comparison. I mean, if you find that there's a huge anomaly between the automated evaluation, which, you know, using uh, artificial intelligence and all kinds of other things. But if you find that there's a huge anomaly between the two, then reconcile it. Try to figure out why that may be occurring. Um, so, again, compare your automated evaluation services to the human performed valuation. Uh, try to minimize contact between the appraiser and the applicants. I know this can be a challenge um, because appraisers have to reach out to the applicant uh, to enter the home in order to uh, do an interior appraisal um, as well as the exterior. So there's always that contact. But um, again, having those discussions with the appraiser and, and, and as well as the applicant, um, I mean, in some cases, I, I remember back many years ago when we started to see an uptick in, in appraisal bias, one of the things that we had is we actually scheduled with the applicant. Um, when I say we, the bank that I work for, uh, we actually took the process away from the appraiser and we said to the appraiser, when is it that you can do it? Give us a couple of dates and then we'll call the applicant. Um, and then what we oftentimes did is, is ask the applicant to... Uh, you know, from to, to refrain from having interaction uh, with the appraiser. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying that you have to go to that extreme, but establish a clear process for reconsideration. So if an appraisal comes in, it isn't what you expected. Uh, you have data uh, from the from the area that, uh, you know, the census area that shows what appraisals are going or what properties are going for, um, then uh, certainly establish a process to do some reconsideration and support why you think that the appraiser is off, um, so on and so forth. Incorporate um, an appraisal complaint process. So oftentimes what we see is uh, obviously as part of a compliance management program, we have to have a complaint process to uh, respond to various complaints. But I, you know, I always say you should almost have a separate process in itself just for the appraisal complaint process because uh, we do. We get a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pushback oftentimes from applicants who think that their property 
is worth more than technically what the appraisal comes in at. And it may be in some cases. Uh, purchases are a little easier, Len, uh, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. you have, you know, uh, you have the market, essentially the market value. I mean, if you have somebody that's willing to pay a certain price, then, you know, to me, that's somewhat of a market uh, price. But, um, right. some of the, you know, some of the issues that we've had, you know, uh, I'm saying they're probably going away now to some extent because of the interest rate uh, increases. But, you know, if you think back to uh, how low interest rates were um, uh, recently, um, you know, the, the, that that in itself, uh, in my opinion, uh, help help prompt some of these appraisal biased issues uh, for sure, um, where people were. Uh, you know, outbidding by $50,000 in some cases, what the actual Mm. value of the property was. Well, that's a problem. I mean, that's a big problem. And the one thing we can't do is have the appraisal come in with a price point that, you know, that is, uh, uh, that, that matches that actual purchase price. We know that that's not what the property is technically worth. It may be worth that to the person who's purchasing it, (laughs) but But, you know, that's where it becomes a challenge. So you better have deep pockets because you're going to have to put more money down if you really want that house because the appraisal can't support it just because of the market taking off and going crazy. So, you know, those are just some of my suggestions, Len, and I hope that uh, people uh, certainly uh, take them into account and adjust accordingly. You know, I was actually counting your ideas, your suggestions. There were nine of them, Dean. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people with a podcast you can go back and replay. And yeah. I think uh, all those ideas you came up with are great. And uh, I'm certain a, a lot of our listeners will be replaying uh, your suggestions uh, uh, over and over again. So uh, yeah. those are great ideas, great suggestions based on a long term experience of many years that you've had in different capacities. Uh, and I'm certain a lot of our listeners will find it helpful. So do you have any parting words, Dean, for our audience today? Yeah, I do. And when I when I when you talk about how, you know, the experience level, my hair can certainly support that. <laughs> it, it's it, it was gray. I think it's turning white now. But yes, I, you know, I think the parting words I would say is that financial institutions should not downplay uh, any evidence of appraisal bias by any stretch of the imagination. They should make sure that the appraisers are properly vetted through their vendor due diligence process, that controls are put in place on the uh, ordering and the review of those appraisals, uh, that complaints are taken seriously and tracked, uh, and that ongoing monitoring, uh, just like we do for anything else in compliance, um, is evident in the in the process uh, of the institution. Dean? This was not only another great topic, it certainly was a timely topic to discuss today. I'm certain many of our listeners will find it very practical and useful for them as they uh, work through their daily routine uh, as bankers. So thank you for all the suggestions uh, on behalf of all today's listeners. This is Len Suzio from GeoDataVision. And this is Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting saying thank you for listening to today's topic. And please let us know of any additional topics you would like to hear in future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and GeoData Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.